I believe in gay marriage. Vermont has led the nation on that. A Vermont law allowing gay and lesbian couples to enter civil unions. Conservative backlash is fierce and sweeping. Why do we care about what gay men are doing in Vermont? We don't want to tell them what to do in Vermont any more than we want them to tell us what to do in Northwest Florida. Our nation must enact a constitutional amendment to protect marriage in America. The headlines in Vermont tonight are all about gay marriage and ice cream. Welcome to Mud Season, a podcast that cuts through the mud and brings you true stories from the Vermont Laboratory. Today, we're going to talk about civil unions and our guest is bill lippert welcome thank you good to be here bill let's start by talking about coming to vermont when you came to vermont in the 1970s i think it was it was i came hiking in vermont in 1972 and what was significant about that time in my life was that i was in the process of quote coming out as a gay man and i came hiking with my brother and his girlfriend who were she was living in Vermont. She said, why don't you stay in Vermont for a little bit? So I said to myself, not to them, but I said to myself, I'll stay for a month. And if I don't meet another out gay man, then I can leave. And believe me, it took some looking. It's, it's hard to describe how completely different uh, the world was and Vermont was back then. And it took me quite a while to uh, identify that there was somebody else who was an out gay man. And, you know, today, obviously, we think of Vermont as a progressive place, but this story line that we're going to talk about, so it was quite difficult and challenging to be an openly gay man in Vermont in the 70s and 80s. It was. Uh, after I met a network of friends, we soon decided, let's do something on a regular basis, and we became a gay men's support group uh, where we'd meet once a week and share some food, tell stories about our lives, and offer support for each other. That became the kind of the foundation for a number of gay political activities, at least in the gay male community. Uh, a number of the men in the group were professionals in the community. You've got to remember there were no, there was no legal protections in work settings uh, back then, uh, anywhere in the country, actually. There was also, of course, there was the HIV-AIDS epidemic. And so uh, a large part of our community was working to, frankly, save our lives. For us as gay men, many many of whom, friends of mine, didn't make it. So there was an increased political engagement, political awareness. So in the late 80s, early 90s, we fought for what we then called the Gay Rights Bill, which was to add sexual orientation to the protected categories for dis non-discrimination around housing, employment particularly. We had to, in the course of the negotiations in the legislature, let go of protections for health care, let go of protections for adoption. But subsequently, we formed several political organizations. The lesbian community became very active in organizing politically. Slowly and deliberately, different constituencies in our community fought and established through the courts or through the legislature more and more protections, including second parent adoptions, the right to adopt, the right to have foster children, all of which leads to the lawsuit. In the ferment of these protections, some members of our community, I think most notably Beth Robinson and Susan Murray, began talking about marriage. And I have to say that they had a vision, along with others in some other states, of claiming marriage as a right within the gay and lesbian community. I was not an early adopter of that fight, 
And I think many people were like, marriage? Isn't that stereotypically heterosexual, patriarchal, oppressive institution where women have been used as property and considered the property of a man, etc.? Carol took a general home economics course. Not one which would lead to professional employment, but one which fitted her for that very important career of being Mrs. Bill Johnson. So there was a lot of political ferment, but Susan and Beth and increasingly others had a vision that marriage was an important issue and formed uh, the organization Vermont Freedom to Marry and some companion political organizations and filed a lawsuit to claim marriage as a right that belonged to uh, gay and lesbian Vermonters. That lawsuit uh, with the three sets of couples who agreed to be very visible applied for marriage licenses and were turned down. So Beth's wife are uh, Lois Farnham and her partner of 25 years, Holly Puderbar. To Mary's left are Stan Baker and it's Peter Harrigan. There's a third couple involved in this lawsuit, Stacey Jollis and Nina Beck. They knew they'd be turned down and, and they knew that they would then pursue action in the Vermont courts using the argument of the Common Benefits Clause of the Vermont Constitution as the basis for why gay and lesbian people should get access to the institution of marriage under Vermont laws. The question in this case is not whether we in this room as individuals approve of a policy that permits same-sex couples to marry. The question in this case is rather whether the legislature, having adopted a marriage statute that permits only opposite-sex couples to marry, has acted unconstitutionally. Vermont Supreme Court was the final arbiter because they were arguing under the Vermont Constitution, not, and it was deliberately argued under the Vermont Constitution, not the U.S. Constitution. And there was a sense that there was the possibility that the Vermont Supreme Court might look more favorably on this argument. The videotape of Beth Robinson making her argument before the Vermont Supreme Court, it's, it's extraordinary. 50 years ago, the California Supreme Court handed down its decision in the landmark case of Perez versus Lippold, striking down California's ban on interracial marriage. The parallels between that case and this case are striking. It's easy to sit here in 1998 and look back and say that that decision was an easy one. Of course the ban on interracial marriage was unconstitutional. But at the time, 30 of the 48 states in this country prohibited interracial marriage. In fact, six found it so odious that they prohibited it by constitutional provision. Nine out of 10 Americans opposed interracial marriage. In fact, the notion of a black person and a white person marrying was as antithetical to many people's conceptions of what a marriage was as the notion of a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman appears to be to the state of Vermont today. So she argues successfully because the court rules... The court rules in an unexpected manner. It was December of 1999 that the Vermont Supreme Court unanimously ruled in what has famously now understood to be the Baker decision. They ruled that under Vermont's Common Benefits Clause, gay and lesbian or same-sex couples were entitled to all the rights, all the same rights, privileges, and responsibilities of the marriage statutes. 
But they said, in an unexpected twist, that they were not, as the court, going to open up the marriage statutes, but that they turned over that decision to the Vermont legislature. Let me just tell you that I was in the legislature. I was the only openly gay member of the House or Senate, the General Assembly, back in the late 90s. Many of my colleagues were coming up to me and privately saying, Bill, promise us we will never have to vote on gay marriage. And I said, absolutely don't worry about it. Beth Robinson is arguing this in the Vermont courts, and she is determined that this is going to be a decision made in the courts, not in the legislature. Beth and I both have had an opportunity on many occasions to laugh together about that idea, because in fact, it came squarely into the legislature in late December 1999, just as the January session was about to convene for 2000. There were those who were counseling the speaker not to touch this issue because gay marriage was considered in many areas of politics as radioactive. It was simply something that many people did not want to have to get politically uh, engaged with because there had been a history of referendum and constitutional amendments banning gay marriage in different states. It was not an era of forward movement on gay rights. It was an era where there was backlash. And here's Vermont, the very first state that's now required to address this. Yes, and the House Judiciary Committee focused all of its attention on the Baker decision. And Vermont became the focus of national attention. And here's where we have right-wing crazies from other states. And you can't imagine today how much attention and animosity and, I guess, good and bad was focused on Vermont and this legislative committee room at the in the Statehouse. It's true. I think Vermont during that period of 2000 was having the largest, most public argument and discussion of, quote, the place of gay and lesbian people in the community that probably had ever taken place. Because I really think if you talk to anybody from that period, you couldn't go anywhere without people talking about this. I mean, churches on the street, the newspapers were filled with it, the television, the the state house when we held public hearings. We held several extraordinary public hearings where uh, even on the snowiest of nights, Busload after busload of Vermonters came to the state house for public hearings. Take back Vermont signs were everywhere. And at election time, civil unions became the hot button issue. What was the church that moved their operation here to? Well, Randall Terry moved his, it wasn't a church, but he was very involved with religious opponents to marriage. He opened a storefront right across from the Capitol Plaza Hotel, uh, began broadcasting from Vermont, his radio show. Greetings. My name is Randy Terry. I'm a Christian, and by that I mean that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's forgiven me of my sins and made me a new creation. He and folks came from many places. Uh, Reverend Craig Benson is also on the line with us fighting the legislation on same-sex unions. What are your thoughts today, Reverend Benson? to that is, so when do we get a chance to vote our conscience? And I, 
I truly am, feel sorry for the state of Vermont in regard to a judgment from the Almighty God. Tell me to watch my mouth while you're over here teaching these children that it's okay to be gay. There, there was a group of, quote, pastors from Texas, all dressed in black, who were a presence in the state house for a period of weeks, I think, and who would confront members of the legislature with their biblical analysis. Um, Randall Terry himself was in the state house. For myself, there were times when in the crowded hallways of the state house, I would suddenly hear this voice speaking in a low enough tone that I could hear it, but others couldn't, saying something like, Representative Lippert, Judgment Day is coming. Judgment Day is coming. Come closer, yes. Look into my eyes. Who will be brought before the judgment seat of Almighty God? And I would turn around and I would see him just fading back into the crowd. And this would happen as I was going about my work in the State House. And that was just for me the kind of harassment, really, uh, that was taking place. But in the midst of this, my colleagues were really genuinely listening and trying to sort out what made sense. And I was the vice chair of the House Judiciary Committee. So I had a particular role along with Tom Little, who was the chair. But I knew that the role that I would play, being the only openly gay member of the General Assembly, was pivotal. And here we are in this committee room, which, oh, might seat 12 to 15 people with the seats around it. And day after day, your committee is wrestling with how you solve this issue that's been handed to you. Well, the Vermont Supreme Court had said that it was up to the legislature as to whether or not to, quote, open the marriage statutes to same-sex couples. They had already said that there was a constitutional right to all the rights, protections, and responsibilities of the marriage statutes. And they said some other legal structure could grant those rights and responsibilities. And that became the division point for many legislators. I supported full marriage equality, and I simultaneously understood that there was not likely going to be sufficient votes to actually have that prevail on the floor of the House. I had been in the legislature at that point for a sufficient amount of time. I knew the sentiments of many of my colleagues. I believe there were three of us who voted for marriage. There wasn't anyone on our committee who did not support at least full rights and responsibilities for same-sex couples. And we determined, that we said, well, we should have a better name for it than the domestic partnership, whatever. I mean, there's these long, long names. So this is where the term civil union is invented in a conversation around a table of which a tape no longer exists. Yeah, it's heartbreaking so. to me. I've looked for that tape of all the tapes because they taped the committee hearings. It may just be misplaced. So nowhere in the world does anything like this exist, this name, civil unions. No state had in the United States and no country had granted full marriage equality, much less all the rights and responsibilities of the marriage statutes. In France, I think there was something called d'accord civil, but it didn't grant all the rights and responsibilities of, of the marriage statutes. We, we wanted to have a term or a name for what we were creating that wasn't marriage because the majority of our committee could not support opening the institution of marriage. These conversations in Vermont are very public. The, all, the state house is completely accessible, and, and it's in, maybe it's an afternoon, and here you are 
going around the table and people are chiming in. That room was like jammed with people. It so was like room. people literally hanging over you as you sat at the table. And this term emerges. We wanted something that was respectful. In one of the hearings, one of the witnesses said, don't call this domestic partnership. It makes it sound like I'm a maid or something. I forget exactly what they said, but they, they said, this is, this is demeaning. Don't, don't, don't do that. And we threw out some other ideas and someone said, civil union. And it really, we all looked at each other and went, that's it. That's it. Let's call it civil union. So once we determined that we also had to think about how to structure the statute to achieve that. In a stroke of brilliance, Tom Little decided that what we could do was simply have a simple amendment to the marriage statutes. Every place that the term marriage is used, it shall be also known to mean civil union. Every place where it says husband and wife, it will also be parties to a civil union. Every place where it says divorce, we will call it uh, dissolution and every place where it says marriage, it will, it will also mean civil union. And so this was like a, it was like pushing uh, replace, add and replace on your computer or something. So every, every statute, every court ruling, every administrative ruling would be amended to include this. Again, it's hard to remember how volatile everything was around the work of this committee. The hallways were filled with opponents and supporters uh, everyone knew we were coming to the point of having to make a decision. We're looking at the House chamber in the Vermont State House in what is once again an extraordinary turnout. It was an issue that brought more people to Vermont State Capitol than any other in memory. We were, of course, what we call counting votes, those for and against. In general, where there's a highly contentious issue like this, the general understanding is that you should go to the floor with 10 extra votes because you lose votes during a debate on a contentious issue, you don't gain votes. That's the common wisdom of the Statehouse. So it was clear we, we were anywhere from five to 10 votes short of the majority that we needed to pass the bill that we had crafted. And there was some people were questioning, should we take it to the floor? We don't wanna to go to the floor and lose. But we did, um, and that became a 12 hour long debate. Uh, started at I think nine in the morning and Tom Little, in his masterful way, led the whole body through our proposal for civil unions. There were many amendments offered to try to undo everything we had crafted. And I'll just say that I knew that at some point I would need to speak. And so that day, partway through the debate in the afternoon, Tom came by and said, Bill, it's time to speak. I had been taking notes all day. I hadn't written a speech. And it was the night before that I suddenly realized oh my goodness, yes, I'm going to have to speak. And uh, I give credit to my dear colleague, uh, Diane Carmoli, who was the ranking member. And I turned to her and I said, I've got to speak tomorrow. Don't worry, Bill, you know what to say. You've been saying it for weeks now. But when I stood to speak that afternoon, late afternoon, as I recall, uh, I felt like I was walking out onto a tightrope. I knew that whatever I said was going to be listened to and heard both by opponents as well as supporters in a way that, that I had an opportunity as the only openly gay person in the General Assembly to hold out what I knew to be true about gay men, lesbian women, bisexual people. 
There had been so many myths and lies, and it didn't match what I knew through my friends, through my partner, through the people that had supported me in coming out as a gay man. People who were all across the state and the country uh, as part of our communities. And so for me, it was an extraordinary opportunity to stand and bear witness to the goodness of gay and lesbian people. To the place that we deserved. It makes me emotional even today. So that, that, that opportunity, that speech, um, I will always consider one of the greatest opportunities and blessings of my political life. It, it also apparently had an impact. Don't tell me about what a committed relationship is and isn't. I've watched my gay brothers care for each other deeply. And my lesbian sisters nurse and care. There is no love and no commitment any greater than what I've seen, what I know. Those members of the General Assembly of the House that day, and then later the Senate, who voted to grant civil unions to same-sex couples. Some of them were more courageous than anything I've ever experienced since. They knew there was a dozen people who lost their seats because they supported civil unions. And they did it nevertheless. They are my political heroes to this day. This is the first time that any state Supreme Court in this country has not only recognized that same-sex families exist, but for the first time has recognized that they have the same needs and deserve the same protections and rights as all other couples and families. That's a first. That's a legal and cultural milestone. And we kept fighting until we actually achieved full marriage equality in 2009. So uh, Vermont has, I think, uh, a lot to be very proud of in terms of support for our community. And if you put it in the context of 2019, we're still fighting to have the rights of our community recognized fully in an era of attacks on civil rights generally and where prejudice and hostility uh, is given voice at the highest levels of government. We have to be constantly vigilant with the idea that things can't go backwards uh, because it appears that for some people in some places, they're determined to take us backwards. But we have a proud legacy. We're not done. There are those of us who are committed to full community welcome, to a full embracing of all people, including LGBTQ people. And we still have young people who we lose uh, because, in fact, they are still, still, some of them, growing up in settings where their humanity as LGBTQ or trans is not fully welcomed. 
Bill, just um, to tie this up, you got married yourself to your long-term partner, so... Yeah, you can't see it, but I have a ring on my finger. <laughs> my partner, Enrique Pareto, and I uh, had a civil union and subsequently were married in a few months after marriage became legal in 2009, and we'll celebrate our 30th anniversary together this summer. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bill, for taking the time to talk to our Mud Season podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Mud Season, presented by the Center for Research on Vermont, examining Vermont's social, cultural, economic, and physical environment since 1974. This week's episode is titled Civil Unions and Vermont's Fight for Equality. I'm your producer, Eliza Giles, and today's episode featured CRVT director Richard Watts as your host. Special thanks to Vermont Representative Bill Lippert for coming in to tell this amazing story and his role in making civil unions a reality in Vermont and in the rest of the world. If you are studying Vermont, either as a profession or as a hobby, consider applying for membership to the Center for Research on Vermont. It costs nothing and will help you to keep up to date with the latest Vermont news and research, as well as with future podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram under username at CRVT underscore. Thank you for listening.